it's Friday the 1st of December. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I walked into the station in the rain. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we put the UK press through the mincer, then remove the sugar and cut out all the carbs so you end up with a deliciously compact keto version of the news that will give you all the fizzy energy you need, plus the breath of a dragon with rotting teeth. We're out Monday to Friday, with weekends off to wrap yourself in tinsel and regret. And if you're worried about what gifts will make you the favourite uncle or aunt this Christmas, I'll be telling you how you can get some excellent Papercuts merch later on. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. R-I-P-P-P-P. Lots of important people have died. The papers choose their favourites. Hancock's half-arsed. Ex-health secretary takes a stand at the Covid inquiry. Says he did his best. Honest. And who's cheating who? A private investigator tells the eye how to spot if your partner is having an affair. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we've got a great opening para, an excellent last quote. We just need a thought that will last for 800 words. <laughs> I'm Miranda Sawyer, and joining me on the show today is New Statesman columnist and dedicated anti-golf renegade, it's John Elledge. Hi, John. I literally have to write a column once we're done, and you've just made it sound terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I know that fear. And also with us is sketch writer for The Critic and staunch soccer ball refuse Nick, Robert Hutton. Hi, Rob. Hi there. So what do we have on the front page today? Rob, I'm going to start with you. What do you have? You've well, got a whole lot of royal it's race. It's a lot of, royal, lot of royal, royal race for our rage. Uh, the Daily Telegraph has Palace look at legal action over racist royals claim. Um, they're all naming, all the papers are now naming the, the racist royals. Are they racist? And indeed, here's a picture of the king. Uh, they've also, important story on the front page of the Telegraph to the Telegraph, Ofcom inquiry will delay sale of Telegraph over censorship fears. Um, it's like one of those the picture of the coastline where it keeps zipping in and you realise you're looking at the same thing. It's just the front page of the Telegraph, more Telegraph. Um, uh, the, it's like those mirrors that go back yeah. and forth. <laughs> the Daily Mail, Scobie's defence unravels. Um, it's, it's the royal race row. Um, and also Britain's finest historian, Neil Ferguson, joins the Daily Mail with a masterful tribute to Henry Kissinger. I think we'll be coming back to that. <laughs> oh, good Lord, that's like... That's like the telegraphing here. It's just fractal right-wing bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Guardian uh, has a big picture of Shane McGowan, um, a small picture of Alistair Darling. Deal agreed at COP28 to help poor countries cope with climate crisis. And the Mirror has a big picture of Shane McGowan, a, a small picture of Alistair Darling, and a small picture of Brookie legend Dean Sullivan. Mm. Jimmy Corkill, everyone. Jimmy, Jimmy, Corkill. Jimmy Corkill to uh, anyone who was at university in the 90s. And the uh, splash is King and Kate in race row. Palace Fury is pair named at centre of storm after Dutch, quotes, translation error. John, what have you got? Uh, so the Times has a big picture, not of Shane McGowan, but of Henry Kissinger. Uh, but underneath that, lockdown delay was fatal mistake, admits Hancock. Mm. Shocking revelation there. Uh, the eye has gone its own way. Exclusive Labour, EU will be our number one priority for UK foreign policy. Exciting as ever, the eye. If it's not pensions, it's something about foreign policy. With okay. a teeny tiny picture of David Lammy. <laughs> oh, he hasn't died as well, has he? <laughs> no. Um, both, both the star and the sun have the same, uh, the same big picture of Shane McGowan. Uh, the star has King of the Hellraisers. The sun has, I don't think this works. And the bells are ringing out for Shane. 
Yes, it, really it would actually work for Shane McGowan because that's that's the yeah, number. Yeah, clearly, if you look at the it, they clearly just ran in. out of space. Yeah, so yeah I think you're right. That was the original idea, and then the subs went. Do we need to put both names? <laughs> Snip. Now the papers are a bit of a death fest today with pictures of. <laughs> Didn't know what else to call it. With pictures of former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Pogue singer and songwriter Shane McGowan and new Labour cabinet minister Alistair Darling decorating different front pages. God, this putting together one hell of a supergroup. Isn't it just? <laughs> it's that awful thing where people go, in heaven, they've been more than a great supergroup. Um, They're there with Harambe. <laughs> you could see it as though each one of them is that paper's spirit animal. So the tabloid's obviously gone with Shane McGowan. The Telegraph and the FT have got Alistair Darling. The Mail, I have to say, is ignoring a lot of them apart from inside. And The Guardian has had an attack of the liberal wet wipes and can't choose between them. So it's got all three on the front. (laughs) So, John, let's start with Henry Kissinger. Big picture of him on The Times. He's died aged 100. The Times has given two pages to his obit, which is pretty big for them. Inside, The Mail have done five. Five? And, and, like, and other papers have completely ignored them. So what's going on? So I think the issue that a lot of the papers are having with Henry, a lot of the right-wing press is having with Henry Kissinger is that he was a major right-wing figure in the late 60s, early 70s. But despite that, they are finding it quite difficult to make the argument that he was not a bad guy. So so he did some, I mean, like, he's got an interesting backstory. He was, you know, his, his family, he, he was a, a Bavarian Jew. His family fled fled Germany in the late 1930s. Uh, he settled in the, in the United States and became very first academically and then professionally successful. Uh, in 1968, he was, um, I think he was an academic at this point, he was feeding information to the Nixon campaign to destabilise the uh, peace talks aimed at ending the Vietnam War because the Nixon campaign was concerned that if the war ended before the election, it would be harder for Nixon to win. Um, a bit of a clue there about the kind of people they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, these are these are these are not great guys. Um, so, like, so a number of uh, a number of the uh, the obits I've read point out that you can sort of make all the deaths in the Vietnam War and the wars that followed elsewhere in Southeast Asia after 1968 can be attributed to Henry Kissinger in some way. Okay. It is very rare that you get an an obituary of someone who isn't literally uh, a tyrant uh, where people are attaching body counts, Mm. let alone body counts that run into the millions. So he was he was firstly a national security advisor and then secretary of state in the Nixon and Ford administrations. During that time, uh, there was secret escalation of the Vietnam War, which I think is when it started to get into Cambodia as well. Um, he was a big believer in domino theory, which was the fear that like if one country goes communist, its neighbours are more likely to follow. Uh, so to that end, he uh, to make sure that Latin America didn't start going in that direction, he encouraged the Pinochet coup in Chile. He supported Argentina's military dictatorship. Uh, on the other side of the world, uh, he provided military hardware to Pakistan and its war to prevent Bangladeshi independence. So basically, I mean, to me, to me, <laughs> that sounds like not a great guy. I, I, I don't think he was that great a guy, certainly. No, but there are people who have said, like, that there are, you know, prominent people who have argued that he was, you know, pretty good. This is not universal. I mean, the magazine that I mainly write for, The Critic, is is a magazine of the right. We have an excellent piece on the website today by um, Professor Patrick Porter that is an evisceration of Kissinger from the right, saying, you know, 
on his own terms, he fails. So it it, it does feel like one of these things where where he's lived so long that that you, you, you I mean you get into the Times as a bit tree. The Times you know the Times have put him on the, put a reasonably flattering picture of him on the front page. They've run a, a two page obituary, and you get you, by the time you get halfway through it, you're thinking. You know what, guys? I, I I mean, obviously he's a he's a you cannot escape his significance. He's a significant figure, but and and his death should be marked. But at the same time, he's not a great guy. Let me give you one little vignette from the um, Nixon White House, um, and I'm afraid the language here is a little bit offensive. But we're quoting the Nixon White House. This is the Times' obituary. Kissinger and Nixon were not close. Kissinger though obsequious in Nixon's presence, privately called him a madman and my drunken friend. Nixon referred to Kissinger as my Jew boy. Ugh. Fucking hell. <laughs> ugh, ugh, what revolting people. Um, really horrible. However, as it goes on, they were made for each other. Yeah, sounds like yeah. it. There was an interesting fact from Twitter, though, wasn't there, John? About uh, like, his uh, age. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, news, but, uh, a little peek behind the curtain for those listeners who don't work in journalism. Obituaries are often written in advance, so they can just be sort of ran you know, in the moment that somebody dies. Kissinger outlived the guy who wrote his New York Times obituary by 13 years. He outlived the guy who wrote his Financial Times obituary by 25 years. He also outlived the journalist who wrote the Guardian obituary of the journalist who wrote his FT obituary by <laughs> year. Um, this is why there's so many words. They just feel like we've had this running for ages. We've had it for ages. We've got to put it in. Well, the, the, so the, 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 yeah, the Mail has got a huge piece. In fact, it's got five pages oh. of Kissinger, which may simply be that oh, every every ten years they have commissioned Refresh another great writer to write several thousand words on him. Yeah, and right. they realise they had them all. Yes, exactly. Supposedly, he flirted with Lady Diana. I mean, please. Can I read some of the critical quotes that please. have been doing the round? So, like, there's some there's some great lines on him, some some dating back quite a long time. Uh, in 2001, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book called The Trial of Henry Kissinger, which described him as a notorious war criminal and lawbreaker. In another 2001 book, Anthony Bourdain's A Cook's Tour, he wrote, Once you've been to Cambodia, you'll never stop wanting to beat Henry Kissinger to death with your bare hands. Mm. Uh, the Probably my favourite of the headlines today is uh, Spencer Ackerman's piece in Rolling Stone magazine, Henry Kissinger, war criminal beloved by America's ruling class, finally dies. Let's look at um, Alistair Darling. He's died from cancer, age 70. So... So this was a, I mean, so yesterday was a series of sort of, well, the Henry Kissinger death was not a shock death. Mm. Um, hundred. A uh, hundred. Um, the Shane McGowan death was a jolt to lots of people, but at the same time... He was ill. He was ill and, you know, he'd, he'd lived a life, let's yeah. face it. The Alistair Darling death was a genuine, oh my goodness, mm. moment. Uh, certainly in, in, in my world... Um, uh, he's died of, of cancer, age 70, very suddenly. I think it's important to say that that he was really, really liked, and he was liked even by people who disagreed with him. And I have to say, you know, we covered him during the work covering him during the financial crisis. Um, you got a sense of somebody who was personally, privately kind. Uh, there, I, you know, there, there, I can remember a time I my. Wife was in Downing Street with a, a small baby, and uh, he, Alistair Darling, and his wife were sort of privately kind to her. Gave her somewhere to go, and essentially said, "You can go and feed the baby in my office. Just don't look at any of the budget papers on the desk, please." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's very sweet. A lovely man, and um, 
and so and so much missed across across the spectrum. The the, the Guardian, yes, the Guardian has to have him on the front page. The paper I'm actually baffled by um, is the Times, which has sort of has put his death at the bottom of page 11 under the news story about Kissinger, under the news story about Shane McGowan, and doesn't even have his name in the headline. It says, Starmer leads tribute to calm and honest former chancellor. It could be, you know, a minor, like somebody from the Callaghan government that literally nobody remembers had died. I mean, he is one of those figures who's like... he, he sort of like he was served throughout the sort of Blair Brown. Yes, government. yes. He was, yeah. he, was in the, he was at the cabinet table for thirteen years, until he became chancellor. He was not a big figure. I think he was a slightly surprising pick as chancellor for that reason. But then he did the job fantastically well at a very difficult time. Like you know, you can make an argument that he basically stopped uh, the the British banking system from falling over. Yeah, definitely. Personally. Yeah. Um, yeah, him and him. I mean, I, I, I have, I have, and indeed, may later today write rude things about Gordon Brown. But he, this, the banking crisis is is Brown and Darling at their absolute mm. finest. Well, that quote, I can't remember who said it, but someone a few weeks ago was it Dominic Cummings saying that he thought that it was the wrong kind of crisis for Boris Johnson. Yeah, pause for hollow laughter. But this was very much the right kind of crisis for Brown and Darling, mm. and you know, whatever else that government did, they kind of excelled in keeping the show on the road there. Yeah, I think feel like we should just really quickly say what happened. So basically, in two thousand and eight October, um, Alistair Darling was like doing a boring be- meeting. EU finance ministers, please. Anyway, he got a very exciting call. It was from the, from the Royal Bank of Scotland, and they were saying they said we've run out of cash. <laughs> There's none left, and they said, "Oh well, how long? How, how much money have you got left? How long will it last?" And he thought it would be going to be like a couple of days, and he was told that the bank had two or three hours before it ran out of money. That's quite a yeah. big deal. I mean, that's probably about the most terrifying thing that can happen to you if your chance of this, this, this period. Alistair Darling was on the radio the whole time. I once dropped my infant son on the floor because I wish to take notes. Um, oh, There's and, a journalist for you. And they're admitting this. I realised that it was going down. to be broadcast. The other thing was that he was learning to talk at this point and our Starling was on the radio so much that that you know, our sort of morning breakfast at one point. He just when when the um, radio four would say, and now we go to the chan- we're now and we're joined suddenly by the chancellor, mm-hmm. darling. My son would pipe up, "Hello, darling." <laughs> 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 Okay, so now let's look at Shane McGowan. Shane has died aged 65. He is the person with the most pictures, I think. He wins the pictures across Mm. the um, papers. There is a difference between how he's treated by the tabloids and the broadsheets. So essentially, the tabloids kind of focus on his drinking. So he started drinking about age, drinking drug taking about age 14, and he just carried on and carried on and carried on, and it made him very, very ill. And essentially, he died, one can argue, from the results of that. But the tabloids slightly focus on that and on the fact that he wrote The Fairy Tale of New York. Like he's a kind of great lad, do you know what I mean? And they, 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 they focus on the amount of famous people that visited him over the last few months when he wasn't well. So there's pictures of Bobby Gillespie and Bruce mm. Springsteen and things like that. But the broadsheets, to their credit, do explain why he's important and how uh, what a great lyricist he was and what he did, which is essentially he came out of punk, he formed the Pogues, and the Pogues were... They're really distinctively London Irish, which is difficult from being solely Irish. So they take the kind of Celtic tradition, folk tradition, and they just mash it with punk. 
And that's what's really brilliant about them. I'm just selling them to you because I know neither of you are poke fans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I'm just selling it hard. He's very important. <laughs> I do like the homophobic Christmas one. Yeah, well, everybody likes the homophobic Christmas one. Look, it was but a different time. But it's also, yeah, I mean, my argument, no, there is an argument around that. And the argument is it's, he's writing in character. So he's yeah. writing, that is a character. Mm. So that is how that character talks. There was some really uh, lovely um, tributes from... The Irish president gave a, be- a really beautiful tribute, which is like so many of his songs would be curf- perfectly crafted poems. Um, the genius of his contribution includes the fact that his co- songs capture within them so many worlds, the measure of our dreams. It's absolutely beautiful, mm. lyrical kind of tribute mm. to him. And then Rishi Sunak. <laughs> here we are. This is Rishi's tribute. It says here. It says... <laughs> Thoughts are with his family and loved ones, and likewise with all of his fans, particularly on a day when the Prime Minister and his wife are lighting the lights and starting to celebrate the festive season at Christmas. Clearly, Christmas would not be Christmas without Fairy Tale of New York. I mean, that is fair enough. That is literally, I know, I know the song. I, that is the tribute I would write. I, I do so have bad. to say, I think that's probably preferable to like Rishi seeing that trying to pass himself off as a fan. Yeah, <laughs> that would not work. It wouldn't work. I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell you the pose one more time. Go on, right? okay. sell. Which is, I saw them in 1985. There was a imagine this, a GLC. Uh, gig, free gig on the South Bank and I came down from Manchester and I walked in on the Pogues and there's a song that they play, play called Waxy's Darkle and there was a man hitting his head with a tea tray <laughs> for the chorus and I thought what a brilliant band, this is a band for me <laughs> okay, so look there's another person who's died too but he's been rele- relegated to the inside page, he's on the front page of I think the star and, but, and the, the mirror oh the mirror, he's yeah. on the front page of the mirror um, he's been slightly relegated to the inside pages because of everybody else yes. who's died. So this is Dean Sullivan. He played Jimmy Corkle in Brookside. He has died aged 68. All right. What was his body count? Uh, well, well, well. There, there, well, a few actually. You, ask. <laughs> you might ask, but I'm going to tell you about Jimmy Corkill. It's a bit unfortunate because Dean Sullivan is so associated with Jimmy Corkill that you have to just talk about him. Okay, he was a massive character in the soap, and if we just did his life, it would rival Kissinger's, but not quite so horrible. In his in in the story, he was there for 17 years. He did an insurance job on his own home. So he, you know, trashed his own home. He became a drug addict. He crashed his car off having a line of coke and caused two people to die. He carried the dof- the coffin, but then he cracked at the graveside and confessed. He started taking E in 1994. In 1995, he finds the body of Trevor Jordash and they bury he buries it under a patio. <laughs> he becomes a drug dealer. <laughs> He kills so moving on the mistake. value chain. I mean, this, right, it's loads. the British dream. Yeah, and then there is the fantastic siege where he used to be a teacher, and but then was sacked, and he gets he, he starts hallucinating. Still believes he's a teacher. Goes back into the school, locks himself in the classroom, has a kind of wobbly, and then goes to the top and tries to jump off. It's an epic life. I mean, a life a life full of a life well lived, a full <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Sad- Corkhill. Sadly missed. Yes. <laughs> now, the COVID inquiry is still moseying along, occasionally making the headlines, occasionally not. Today, the Times has noticed that him out of I'm a Celebrity and Celebrity SAS has been talking. So they've put him on the front page. The Star has an excellent headline about Matt Hancock, for it is he, on page 10, and it is Coco. Toxic Nobbo, 
is to blame. So there we go. Toxic Nobbo is to blame. What has Hancock been saying? Oh, gosh. Oh, it, it, the thing you've got to understand about Matt is that secretly he was a genius and he was right all along. It's just mm. that nobody appreciated at the time. He's become... I mean, I'm, we're going to quote other people's sketches. I'm I'm going to quote my own for a moment. Fair he is, enough. He he's spends his life wandering around trying to explain why he was right. He has become Ross from Friends, just <laughs> endlessly explaining that they were on a break. There's a lot of cultural references today that are dating us all, aren't <laughs> <they>? <laughs> Well, my other one is the ancient mariner. I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah but what was fun about this was the the inquiry counsel Hugo Keith essentially taking this apart saying well there's really no evidence that you called you you privately secretly called for a lockdown two weeks earlier and um, and Hancock Hancock says well I did it on a secret phone call with with um, Mm. with Boris but unfortunately there's no there's there's no record of what was said on the phone call so um, and it's questionable. There's also there's a fantastic way that Hugo Keith talks about um, Matt Hancock's diaries, uh, which he always referred to as diaries. In you can hear the air quotes unless he was referring to them as your so-called diaries. Wow. <laughs> his literally his first questions were to establish that these diaries were written a year after the event. And then there was this great bit where he started re- he starts reading the blurb from the book and says this isn't really true. I mean. It's the blurb from a book. Yeah. Of course so it's this not is true. the book that he that there was written, the pandemic diaries, which yes. was written by Isabel Oakeshott, and that's that's his version of what happened in yeah. in the pandemic. But these diaries are very very different from the kind of uh, diaries that were kept at the time that we've had from all the scientists that like Dominic Cummings kind of says that he he wrote yeah. it the same. So what Matt Hancock is is basically is rewriting his own history and saying I was right all along. Gov. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Do you um, think he believes it? Mm, I think he does. I think you do. I think you. I think the. I mean, my view of Matt Hancock is ultimately he's not so much evil as average, and he's persuaded himself. You know, that that actually, in the way that memory plays tricks, this is why diaries are so valuable. Because when you're looking at diaries on the day, you can sort of see people. You can see what people actually thought that day. Whereas you look at so what if if I were to try and rewrite my diary of COVID. You know, I would inevitably sort of you attach more significance to things that at the time you attach no significance yeah. to, and you, that's just the that's the way that memory works. Yeah, there's an amazing opening line in the Times from Tom Peck, um, who <laughs> writes it about great, it. It's a great, it's a great intro. Okay, I'll go to I'll read it out to you. He says, "It is a rarity in life that you can say with complete certainty that a man looks like he'd rather be eating a camel's dick." <laughs> But it really can now be stated as an established fact that there is nothing on earth that Matt Hancock finds harder to swallow than the things he's said and done. I mean, I would just retire after that. That is amazing. (laughs) So good. Now, as you all know, at Papercuts Towers, we love our headlines. So much so that we invented an extra special, highly exclusive Papercuts game about them. Fix the Headline is where we find a great story with a not-so-great headline and ask you, the Papercuts listeners, to think up a better one. Today, we have a story from the star about how most new billionaires got their money from inheriting it rather than earning it. The headline is not that brilliant for the star, I have to say. Nepo Babies born to be billionaires. Bit dull, but we know you can do better than that. 
And I lied about Fix the Headline being highly exclusive. Anyone can enter. Just go to at Papercut Show on X or Threads and bung us your better idea under the hashtag Fix the Headline. So what about today? What great headlines do we have? Rob, what do you have? I've got two from The Sun. First of all, The Sun's got a lovely photo of um, snow in Derbyshire and also snow in Gateshead and snow in North Yorkshire and snow in County Durham. Uh, But the story is about how London Mayor Sadiq Khan invoked the severe weather emergency protocol yesterday morning when there was a tiny dusting of snow (laughs) across London. And um, the headline is Ultra Snow Emission Zone. Hey. I, like, I like that, you yeah. see. I like that. And I also like, although the, the other headline from the Sun doesn't quite make sense, I should say at this point, but I do love it. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, it is a story that deep, deep in Russia, um, a, the Ukrainians appear to have blown up a rail tunnel that uh, is used to transport ammunition from China to Russia. Um, and uh, the headline is Tsar Blight Express. Oh, that's very good. Yes. No. I mean, I get. I get all the bit. I, just, I sort of feel like. I feel like it. it there's. A, there's a another level it could have got to, but I like it. No. I. I, like I, it. I, I okay. disagree. That is all very right. good. We give that. God, you have the man of a fucking stick, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've also got one in the sun with which the production team is very clearly trying to trigger me in some way. Uh, they've got a piece about how Doctor Who is now boring because because it's gone it's gone woke, mm. um, which is which is by the way complete and utter. But like, I mean, like, they're, 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 like definitely, like there is clearly a progressive agenda in the latest Doctor Who, but that's been there since like yeah, there was a literal fucking communist who wrote it in the Pertwee era. By the way, there's an episode. <laughs> of the bunker all about this. Anyway, um, just... <laughs> John's now destroying <laughs> the studio. <laughs> fury. With fury. <laughs> anyway, moving on, the headline is Result of Beeb's Woke Obsession, Doctor Who Cares. Ooh. Best, best ratings in, in years, by the way. I know. But, I do know. quite like Doctor Who Cares, though. I do. It's a good headline. <laughs> but, um... They should use it by the NHS. Screw you, Ali Ross. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> Now, let's have a look at the fluffy tummy of the UK press. The central pages of features, opinion, advice and mad stuff that the wife of the newspaper owner is obsessing about at the moment. What do we have? You think that's a joke. That's not a joke. (laughs) That's quite often how features are picked. What do we have? Okay, so look, I found an interesting article in The Eye and it's written by a private investigator called Alison Harris and it is about the telltale signs of infidelity. Would you like to know about them? I would like nothing more. Thank you. I've done my research. Okay, so Alison spends about 65% of her work investigating affairs. By the way, she's paid £70 an hour and as she sits in a car for a very long time, I think this is a good job that we should all apply for. Okay, so the um, the first way you can tell... I think this is fairly standard, is someone's taking more notice of their appearance, they're dressing differently, they might disappear into the the bathroom for a while on their phone. So, you know, okay, we can Mm -hmm, get that. mm -hmm. Okay. But the biggest clues that she has are on social media, especially in searches. So Mm -hmm. if you want to find this out... Um, you, what you need to do is go on Facebook. She says, always Facebook. Friends of friends of friends, they leave a trail. So, How? What does, what does that mean exactly? So it means they, 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 they look somebody up and they think, oh, that person looks quite nice. And then they uh, add them as friends and then they start chatting. And you don't know because you're not 
you know, you don't follow everybody on the same Facebook and they follow it that way. And then okay? they slide into their whatever yeah, Facebook their, DMs, DMs are. are. Yeah. <laughs> PMs. Yeah. Men take longer to realise that something is amiss. Usual complaint from men is that their wives are suddenly acting very cold with them. And that's how you know that they're having an affair. I'm sorry. But anyway, she says she is the catalyst in people's decision process. Why are you taking notes about this? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But I mean, I ha- well, the main thing I learned from it was it's quite a fun job <laughs> and you get paid well. So maybe we should have a go. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the last episode of Paper Cuts. <laughs> <laughs> We've all quit our jobs and become private investigators. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John. Thank you. Thanks to Rob. Thank you. And there's just time to mention our fabulous Paper Cuts shop. Yes, if you want to spend your Christmas cashola on some excellent gifts for your friends, or indeed for you, just go to podmarket.co.uk, our online store. Can we have a cheer? (laughs) There you'll find gorgeous papercut hoodies, fabulous papercuts mugs, and a super swoony, entirely new design papercuts t-shirt that's different from the one in our supporters club. I know. And there are other top bits of merch from our companion podcasts, Oh God, What Now?, The Bunker, This Is Not A Drill, and Origin Story. Plus, everything has 10% off at the moment, as for some mad reason, Black Friday is stretched right across the week. Click on podmarket.co.uk and go nuts. You might even still have a few quid left afterwards to become a Papercut supporter. Hooray! I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when the Telegraph reveals that chin-strap penguins sleep in four-second bursts, which doesn't sound very much until you realise that they have 10,000 naps a day. (laughs) (laughs) Respect, we've managed at least 10 each during this show. See you on Monday. Papercuts was presented by Miranda Sawyer with John Elledge and Rob Hutton. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The executive producer was Martin Boytosh. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Adam Wright and me, Alex Reese. Dreaming a dream by the Old Canal. Socials by Jess Harpin. Art direction by James Parrott and Modern Toss. Music by Simon Williams. Papercuts is a Podmasters production.